Good afternoon. We have visitors in our number. We uh, appreciate your presence. We invite you back at any opportunity that you have to be with us. I'm glad to see all of our normal members here. Uh, you had plenty of notice that you could have skipped out and went somewhere else, but I'm glad that you're here. <clears throat> We're closing a series of gospel meetings, the uh, series that uh, has already been stated that I'll admit that uh, when we first started to discuss this, I was like, you can't even say those two words together. You uh, Christian atheist, it doesn't even feel right saying. But the more I thought about it, it could possibly be one of the most interesting topics that I've ever studied myself. I greatly appreciate the opportunity that Lakeside has given us to present these lessons, and I can't say enough about the men that went before me, Uh, great friends and brothers in Christ, and great lessons that they brought to us. When looking for individual lessons, the titles that we were taking, uh, things started really just hitting me right in the face. All the discussions that we were having, it was like, have I at times acted like this? Have I at times been a Christian atheist? I believe in God, but in the past, have I shown characteristics of this? Characteristics of a Christian atheist. So these lessons have been very good for me and have been very good that I've been involved with. As we begin tonight's lesson, I'm reminded of a statement that was made by Brother Lowell Salee. Some of you may remember that. It says, you believe in God, but do you truly believe God? Just how much do we believe the words that God has to say? How much do you believe that you should know Him? Do we truly, really believe these things, that there are things that will keep us out of heaven? Do we believe that God, do we believe God when He says there will be a judgment day? Do we believe that when God says that there's things that we can choose not to do to keep us from inheriting eternity in heaven? Yeah, I know the Bible says this, but is it really that bad and is it bad enough for me to to not make it to heaven? We believe in God, but do we believe Him? Do we believe that He sent His only Son to this earth to die so that all that obey Him can have salvation and can know salvation? The verse that you've seen so far this series, Titus 1.16 says they claim to know God, but by their actions they deny Him. By this time, we've had a lot of time to think about this verse and what this verse means. And I myself have kind of reflected on this verse and kind of made it a goal to not act like this. We're kind of still new into 2020. It's a good goal to uh, put up there on your list. But does this verse sound like people that we know? Does it sound like actions that I have done myself? Something that I may be currently doing? Just something to think about. 
Ranker.com is the leading digital media company for an opinion-based, crowdsourced ranking on just about everything you can possibly imagine. It's a website that people put lists on, and you can go in and vote for or against it. A quote from this website says, We put the power in the hands of our audience to answer debates on topics based on, and I want you to remember this phrase, the wisdom of the crowd. The list that I found goes right along with the lesson tonight. The title of the list was The Most Important Life Goals. Again, something that's kind of interesting, the beginning of 2020. This is an ongoing ballot, so it's live today. You can check it. You can vote for or against things on the list, or you can even add additional things to this list. So it's a summary of the personal qualities that most people would include on a life goal list. Again, remember, wisdom of the crowd. As we remember that phrase there, I ask you to think about Proverbs 14 and chapter 12, or chapter 14, verse 12. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12. says, There is a way that appears to be right, but in the end it leads to death. The wisdom of the crowd versus the wisdom of knowing God. Anyone guess what the number one life goal is? To be happy. Being happy was number one. They define this as being happy and content, feeling satisfied with one's life, feeling good about myself. Anything wrong with that? Everybody in here likes feeling good about their self, satisfied with my life, All good. Number two, enjoying life. They had a definition of that one. Being carefree, lighthearted, enjoying life, being spontaneous, exploring, being adventurous, having an exciting, stimulating life. To live for today. Anyone ever heard that phrase? I'm just living for today. Devoting time to amusements, recreation, entertainment, and hobbies. Alright, I'm all in. These are two that's right on my list. And I say, my name is Brandon Swan, and I love being happy and enjoying life. I love being with friends and family, and doing things that I love. And I think you all would say the thing, the same. <clears throat> Truth is, I think I've seen unhappy people that are actually happy. They're happy being unhappy. But I see really no problem with any of these definitions. But you have an assumption where number three, what number three is, or where God falls on this list. 76 items on the list. A hundred and sixty-eight thousand nine hundred votes on this list. Number fifty-two is the first place that you'll see anything to do with a Christian. Number fifty-two, Christian values. Number fifty-four, giving God, giving God the glory. Number seventy-two, having faith in God. Seventy-four, praising the Creator. Seventy-five, to be with God. 
a list of 76. And next to last comes to be with God. If you're wondering what number 76 was, it was be kind to everyone even if they're rude to you. How long has this pursuit of happiness been taking place? When did it become a top priority in people's lives? Is this a recent issue or something that's been long going? I'm sure everybody knows who Aristotle is. He was a Greek philosopher. He was born in 384 B.C. He died in 322 B.C. He is considered to be one of the greatest thinkers in history. He had this to say, Happiness is the meaning and the purpose of life, the whole aim and the end of human existence. So according to him, happiness consists in achieving through the course of a whole lifetime all the goods, health, wealth, knowledge, friends, etc. That led to the perfection of human nature and to the enrichment of human life. Today, over 2,000 years later, people in America still agree. Which really makes a lot of sense when you think about what our nation was actually founded on. Sure, everybody knows 1776, we had the Declaration of Independence. All men created equal. Our forefathers called it our God-given rights. In America, we are born with life, liberty, And the pursuit of happiness. So being happy is not bad. Nor is it something that we should avoid. We shouldn't hide it. But how far should we go to pursue it? Is there a line that we need to stop at? Is there a line that we need to cross? Could crossing that line cost me something? What? Could it cost? Could it cost me financially? Could crossing the happiness line or the pursuit of happiness cost me my family, my friends, my job, my wife, my husband? Could it even cost me my soul? What could I lose by pursuing happiness at any cost? While I believe that God wants us to be happy... And God really wants to bless us. He does bless us. But I also believe that if we're not careful, our pursuit of happiness can cause us to wander into extremely dangerous territory when we start to think that God's ultimate plan for us on earth is happiness. On the earth. There are a lot of people that believe in God but pursue happiness at any cost. It's a scary thing to think that this is the mindset and it can lead us to reversing our role with God. If we believe that God's ultimate goal for us is to be happy in this world above all else, rather than acknowledging that we are serving God, somehow we make it that God is serving us. And that's wrong. We are wrong to believe that God is here to serve us. As Aristotle put it, God becomes the means to our end. He's happiness. To the Christian atheists, 
the God of the universe is transformed into a cosmic soda machine. He's like the big vending machine in the sky. If we give enough money, if we pray enough, if we pray the right prayer, if we live the right way, God must deliver and do what we ask Him to do. Right? If He don't do that, well, He doesn't love me and it's not really fair. He exists to bring us Earth's ultimate reward, which is uninterrupted happiness. Does that sound like anyone we know? Does it sound like something that I may have acted, a way that I'd have acted? God, I would be so happy if you would just allow me to make an A on this test. I would be so happy if you would just give me this job. God, I would be so happy if you would allow super spouse to come into my life. In 2016, a poll was taken, and only one out of every three Americans claimed to be happy. A song that was popular a few years ago began with the words, Here's a little song I wrote. You might want to sing it note for word, note for note. Don't worry, be happy. I know some of you have sang that song before. <clears throat> McDonald's. They've tried to convince everyone that there's actually a meal that can make a kid happy. That is, until your son gets the girl toy, or your daughter gets the blue toy, and she had her heart set on the pink one. It's the American dream. It's the pursuit of happiness, right? There's thousands of books have been written. Thousands of Facebook, I know I said it, thousands of Facebook posts have been shared about the pursuit of happiness. Thousands of well-meaning friends have told each other to do what makes us happy. Oh, you just go do what makes you happy. We're obsessed with happiness. But if there was more to life than just being happy, what if Jesus disagreed with Aristotle or one of these self-help find happiness here and now books? or blogs, or posts? What if Jesus said that happiness on earth is not the aim, and it's not the end of human existence, or that your best life is not now? What if Jesus asked us to stop what we're pursuing, completely change paths, and go down a completely different road? What would I choose to do? Which path would I travel? Let's look at a few examples in the Bible of what pursuing happiness can cost us. The pursuit of happiness can lead us to danger. We don't have to look very far in the Bible to see this. Genesis chapter 13 through 19, we have the story of Abraham's nephew Lot. Genesis chapter 13, we'll read verses 5 through 11. It says, Now Lot, who was moving about with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents. But the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarreling arose between Abram's herders and Lot's. The Canaanites and the Perizzites 
were also living in the land at that time. So Abram said to Lot, let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between your herders and mine, for we are close relatives. Is not the whole land before you. Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Lot looked around and saw that the whole plain of Jordan towards Zor was well watered, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of Jordan and set out toward the east. The two men parted companies. Can't you just see Lot right here? See him, he gets to take choice of the land. He looks over here, he looks over here. He's like, oh, wow. He's like, look at this land. It's the greatest land ever. There's water, there's grass. Look how green the grass is. He calls his wife over and he says, I want you to look at this. He's given us the option to have this. But what Lot didn't see was what lied right there with it. We know what it brought. It brought Sodom. It brought wickedness. It brought sin. Genesis chapter 14, 1 through 16, while Lot was living here in Sodom, a great war breaks out. Nations attack Sodom. Kings came in, took Lot, his family, and all of his belongings. Word gets back to Abraham, and Abraham sets out and rescues him. Lot, you now have a chance to change. You have an out. You can start over. But what does Lot do? He goes back. He goes back to Sodom, back to wickedness, back to sin. Genesis 19. Genesis 19, verses 1 through 3. Chapter 19, verses 1 through 3. Two angels arrive at Sodom in the evening. And Lot was sitting in the gateway of the city. When he saw them, he got up to meet them and bowed down with his face to the ground. My lords, he said, please turn aside to your servant's house. You can wash your feet and spend the night and go on your way early in the morning. No, they answered, we will spend the night in the square. But he insisted so strongly that they did go with him and entered his house. He prepared a meal for them, baking bread without yeast, and they ate. We see Lot living inside the city at this point. Two angels come to visit him. And he kind of forces them into his home because he knows if they stay outside in the city square that danger and harm could come to them. You would think at some point Lot would understand that is living in this city worth all this land that I've got? Is this land, the happiness that comes with it, is it worth putting my family into this situation? We see that Lot's pursuit of happiness and having the best land in the area ultimately led to his family falling apart and shame being brought on them. I ask how our our pursuit of happiness can lead us into these same situations. These situations that are just less than idea. Happiness is not found in having the best or the most, but true happiness is found in contentment. We see that from Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13. True happiness is found in knowing God, 
knowing his love for us, his fairness, and that we can have salvation through him. The next thing, the pursuit of happiness at any cost can cause us sorrow. And when I talk about sorrow, we're going to talk about money. Money can bring us all kinds of happiness. Nothing wrong with money. But the constant pursuit of it can once again lead us into situations where we make bad decisions that we would not normally make. The obvious example in this is the life of Judas. Judas was concerned with money throughout his time with Jesus. Turn with me to John chapter 12, verses 1 through 6. John 12, verses 1 through 6. It says, Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of this perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why was it this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief, as keeper of the money bag. He used to put himself to what was put into it. Judas's constant physical greed continued to, to motivate him to do increasingly worse things to gain more and more of what he wanted. When pursuing happiness through the means of money, possessions, or anything material, we can be drawn into a dark place where doing and saying certain things that never would have crossed our mind becomes tolerated and accepted. I'll say that one more time. The pursuit of my happiness at any cost, can and will take me to a dark place where doing and saying things that would have never crossed my mind becomes tolerated and accepted. True happiness will never involve sinning. So if you think to yourself, blank is what I need to be, is what I need to be happy, and the blank is filled with something that goes against God's word, You are not pursuing a happiness that's acceptable to God. And this goes for any age group. I don't think uh, when you know right from wrong till death. If you understand that sin, if you understand what sin is and believe in God, but pursue sinful things to make you happy, probably need to back up and refocus. Probably need to think about where your mind is set, where your heart is set. In 1972, there was a song by Luther Ingram. Never had heard the song until I started doing research for this lesson. And probably after you hear the first verse, you'll understand why. <clears throat> the song title 
The song was actually the number one song in 1972 on the U.S. R&B charts. The number three song on the U.S. pop chart. Song title, If Loving You Is Wrong, I Don't Want To Be Right. First verse goes, If loving you is wrong, I don't want to be right. If being right means being without you, I had rather live a wrongdoing life. Your mama and your daddy say it's a shame, it's a downright disgrace. As long as I got you by my side, I don't care what other people say. That's just the first verse. It doesn't get any better. But this whole song is the world's way of saying what makes me happy, whether it pleases God or not, is what's most important to me. To be clear, it is wrong to be wrong in order to be happy. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 through 10. Colossians 3, starting with verse 5. And I know Luke this morning, he mentioned the group of verses that was with this, but he talked about the characteristics of things that we should have. Now we're going to look at things that we really shouldn't have. It says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourself of such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices. And you have put on a new self, which is being renewed in its knowledge in the image of its creator. Galatians chapter 5, verses 5, Galatians 5, verses 13 through 21. Galatians 5, 13 through 21. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the, king, the kingdom of God. Second Samuel chapter 11, we know the story of David. He saw a woman bathed, bathing and he lusted after her. David's happiness, he lusted after her. They committed adultery. David's pursuit of happiness with Bathsheba caused him to arrange the death of her husband. So David was responsible for murder. This love-lust that David experienced overshadowed 
all that he knew to be right. He compromised himself, and then he lied, tricked, and cheated to get his way. The pursuit of happiness at any cost. We see what it got David. I hope we will not allow the world's view of happiness to distort our view of what it actually is. Worldly happiness is most oftentimes sin. Again, if the things that makes us happy are the things that will keep us out of heaven, do we have our heart set where it needs to be set? Where is our treasure? If we are pursuing things of the flesh to make us happy, we are pursuing something that is in the moment rather than something that is going to carry us through the moments. Spiritual death happens one compromise at a time. There's a happiness that exceeds the moment. Jesus said it is found as we rightly align our our lives with what God commands. Lastly, this pursuit of happiness leads us to disappointment and or vanity. Solomon was in no better was in a, the best position than anyone to pursue happiness at its greatest. He left no stone unturned in his indulgence of the pursuit of wine, women, song, and more. The books of Ecclesiastes, Proverbs, 1 Kings, and 2 Chronicles reveal all of Solomon's pursuits. After each endeavor, Solomon had a favorite expression which summed up the whole matter. He said, All is vanity and striving after the wind. Solomon pursued happiness from the abundance of food, wine, happiness for countless relationships, endless money, all wisdom, fame, power, possessions. Yet his conclusion, all is vanity. So what does Solomon find true happiness in? Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 13 and 14. He says, fear God and keep His commandments. That same thought is true for us today. We should not be happy with temporary things of this world. We should enjoy every blessing that God gives us, and we should be very happy and thankful for those blessings. But let's not forget that we are strangers In this world, we're just passing through, but we're made to dwell in heaven. If you remember earlier, if Jesus asked us to stop pursuing what would make me happy and follow him down a different road, what would I do? I want to go back to Matthew chapter 16, where we started with a verse on Friday night. Matthew 16, verse 13. It says, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what do you, He asked, Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. 
Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you will loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So we see Jesus asking this question here, and Peter gives the correct answer. If we skip on down a few verses, we see that Jesus starts trying to explain some things. Some very dark things that that they were seeing. He said that he was going to suffer, that he was going to be hung on a cross, he was going to die, and he was going to be raised again. A verse or two down, we see Peter coming to Jesus and taking him to the side. And he says, Never, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Peter did not want this for the Son of God. He knew who he was, and this just didn't sound like anything that was happy in this life. It just wasn't fair. Christ didn't deserve to die like this. But... Peter was kind of unknowingly trying to ruin God's plan of salvation. Peter was thinking like any human would think. Verse 23, Matthew 16, it says, Jesus said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Death and suffering sounds terrible, right? None of this should happen. Then Jesus tells what it takes to be a follower of Him. We'll pick up in verse 24. Then Jesus said to His disciples, Whoever wants to be My disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow Me. For whoever wants to... Save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in His Father's glory with His angels, and then He will reward each person according to what they have done. If anyone wants to follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. He didn't say, Brandon, do what makes you happy. He said, Brandon, you're going to have to make some self-sacrifices. If you want true happiness, you have to deny yourself. What will it benefit for a person if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? You can have everything this world has to offer, but what do you have? You have nothing when it comes to eternity. The pursuit of happiness can be easy, but it can lead us to a spiritual death if we pursue the wrong type of happiness. If we pursue Jesus, He will lead us to salvation, a salvation that we know that we can have. I throw out a plug for a lesson in this same series that I hope one day someone will tackle. You believe in God, but do you believe in eternity? 
Do you believe that your soul lives forever? It's hard to think about. It's hard to think about my soul living forever, never dying. But because of sin, everything in this world comes to end. But after we die, our souls live forever in one of two places. Do you believe in eternity? Are you sure of your salvation? I encourage you to think about your soul in your pursuit of happiness. Don't give it away in pursuit of temporary and fleeting happiness. At this time, if there's anyone that needs any help with anything, please come as we stand and sing.